Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. There's a category in the insurance world that labels unexplained phenomenon or a terrible disaster as an act of God. In other words, that horrific hurricane or tragic event that killed hundreds, God did it. Wait, is that how God acts, really? Let's talk with Dr. Jennings via Skype to discover just how involved God is with what happens on this earth, good or bad. Dr. Jennings, is God really in control of everything, as some people say he is? You know, Charles, it's such a great question because this comes up over and over again, commonly in the face of personal tragedies or community tragedies. This idea asserts itself, and it can be quite destructive and harmful to the reputation of God and lead people into discouragement and hopelessness or or disillusionment and give up their faith because it, it really misrepresents the truth about God's control. And so I'm going to tell you a simple way to say it. That is truthful, but then it requires us to unpack it, okay? Mm -hmm. God is in control of what God controls. Hmm. God is in control of what God controls, so I think it's very important for us to understand what God controls, am I right? That's exactly right. And what happens with the statements like you've described are people are asserting God is controlling something that he is not controlling, and the Bible doesn't teach he controls those things. So let's talk about the stuff we can all agree God controls, both sides of the question. God controls himself. God is always in control of himself. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus Christ in human form was in control of himself. Jesus Christ was actually not in control of the people who abused him, spit on him, cursed him, and crucified him. They weren't hand puppets with Jesus secretly reaching inside their head and pulling strings to make them abuse him while he's pretending to be distraught by what he's doing to himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see, I God do. did not control them God controlled himself. So God always controls himself, but that's not all God controls. God is the creator of reality. He builds space, time, energy, matter, and life. And as the creator, he creates the laws upon which all the universe operate, the laws of physics, the laws of health, the moral laws, and thus God is in control of the operation of those laws. That's why they're so constant. That's why they don't waver. The law of gravity is a constant. The laws of physics and motion are a constant. The laws of thermodynamics, they're constants because God controls them and they don't waver. And Jesus alluded to this in Matthew 5 when he said, not one little change in the law will happen because if it did, then, then heaven and earth would cease. Okay, all heaven and earth would pass away for the law to change because it's built precisely by the creator to allow life to exist. And so God controls himself. God controls the laws uh, upon which his universe operate. Let's talk about two of them. One of them is law of love. God is love. And the other one is law of liberty. For love to exist, beings must be free. Robots cannot love. Computers cannot be programmed to love. Puppets do not love. And so if God is love, then he actually gives us real freedom because to take away freedom, make us robots or puppets, destroys love. And so God sustains the law of love. God sustains the law of liberty. And this is why God and Jesus was not in control of the people rejecting him and abusing him. They had real freedom to reject the creator, spit upon him and curse him 
they were free to do it. They were not free to avoid the consequences in their own hearts, minds, and characters from doing it. Just like you are free, Charles, to tie a plastic bag over your head and and put yourself out of harmony with the law of respiration and hoard carbon dioxide to yourself. But if you do that, you are not free of the consequences, which results in death. And so one of the problems with these statements, like if you see a tornado or you see a storm, God is bringing it. It is viewed not through viewing God as the creator who sustains all of reality. It's viewed as seeing God as an imperial dictator, a Caesar of Rome operates, somebody with power. And so he makes things happen the way he wants to happen. But this is not how God actually functions, nor what the Bible reveals about his character. So it's quite destructive to view God this way. You know, you once said to me on a previous program when we were talking sort of on this subject, you said something that I've always remembered. You said that things are attributed to God that he doesn't stop. If he allows something, well, then that's God doing it. How do we unpack that? Well, that's in the Old Testament and some of the language they would use. And it was they has to do with the mindset of how they view God operating, mm-hmm. that if God didn't intervene to stop it, it was viewed by many as his will for it to occur. Mm-hmm. There's a certain aspect of truth for that when God spoke to Paul on the Damascus Road or Saul of Tarsus and his name became Paul. Right. He said to Paul, it's painful to kick against the thorns, isn't it? Okay, it's painful. In other words, God didn't want Paul kicking against reality, kicking against the thorns. But God did want Paul to experience pain when he did kick against the thorns. Okay, God didn't stop the pain from happening. Why? For the same reason a loving parent won't stop a child from feeling pain if they touch a hot stove. If they touch a hot stove, it's not the parent's will they touch a hot stove. The parent wouldn't force their hand upon the hot stove. But if they touch the hot stove and they feel pain, they quickly pull their hand back and minimize the damage. If they feel no pain, they leave it there till they smell burning flesh and the damage is much worse. And so in sustaining his laws and allowing the painful consequences to come, it's God's will that we reap those consequences, but it's not his will that we actually do things that are out of harmony with what is healthy and what is good for us. And he wants us to reap the consequence because he wants us to stop doing what's harmful as quickly as possible, if that makes sense to you. It does. And you've identified something else that we've talked about, and you make it very clear. A lot of people say that the pain is a punishment from God. That consequence of my sin is God punishing me. What would you say to those people? That is a child's way of understanding. If a child is is playing in the street and the parent has instructed them multiple times not to play in the street, but they keep going out and putting themselves in danger, the parent will step between the child and ultimate reality. Ultimate reality are the laws of health and physics when a car hits them and causes them bodily harm and perhaps death. That's the ultimate reality, the laws of physics and health. But the child can't comprehend those things. And so the parent steps between them and ultimate reality with a rule and inflicted artificial punishment of perhaps a spanking. Mm -hmm. And from the childish perspective, that spanking is painful. And they will then think, well, the problem playing in the street is mommy's mad and, and mommy will hurt me uh, until they grow up. And when we grow up and look back at our childhood and we see where our parents intervene like this, we realize that our parents were never the source of harm and, and they loved us enough to allow themselves to 
take that responsibility and even be misunderstood. I hate my mommy. She's so mean. She won't let me play in the street. This is God of the Old Testament stepping in between childlike followers who continue to go after false gods and corrupt their characters and harden their hearts by by going to the fertility cults to worship. And God steps in with thundering and threatening in order to help them learn to stay away till they grow up and realize, you know what? He was never our enemy. What we were doing was destroying us. This leads us, though, to the question about Pharaoh. Remember that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, therefore, there is an example that God made it happen. Again, it goes to how you understand God's law. If you believe God makes up rules and uses power to enforce rules, then you'll read texts like God hardened Pharaoh's heart as God inflicting it. But if you read the Bible widely, you will find that the Bible describes the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in three separate ways and multiple times for each way. The God hardened Pharaoh's heart is described several times. But it also says Pharaoh hardened his own heart several times. Mm -hmm. And then it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened in a neutral way several times. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible describes it three different ways. And and you say, well, which is the inspired one? Which is true? Did God do it or did Pharaoh do it? And the reason it describes this is because it wants people to study in how reality works. How is a heart actually hardened? How does that happen? It happens to the operation of God's design laws, the laws of truth, love, and liberty. God is a source of truth. He presents truth to hearts and minds in ways they can comprehend it and will even bring a conviction where they have a certainty that this really is true. But then God leaves us perfectly free to accept that truth or reject that truth. Mm -hmm. What happens to every human heart when you're convinced on a topic and you choose to reject it anyway? The heart hardens. Mm -hmm. So had God not brought truth to Pharaoh, his heart wouldn't have got as hard as it did. So God hardened his heart by bringing the truth. But Pharaoh chose to reject the truth repeatedly. And in rejecting the truth, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And in fact, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. You might say, well, if God had foreknowledge, why would he bring truth to Pharaoh that he knew would be rejected and only harden his heart further? Because Pharaoh's starting position in life He was born in sin, conceived in iniquity, Psalms 51.5, as all of us are, Mm -hmm. inherited a condition that is terminal, dead in trespass and sin, as the Bible said. And without the truth being brought to him, Pharaoh had no hope of salvation. God loved Pharaoh too much to let him have no hope. So he brings him truth over and over again to try and redeem Pharaoh. But Pharaoh rejects the truth over and over again. And God did this even though he knew he rejected because God is love and will not leave anyone without that chance. In the Old Testament, you hear over and over again, God chastises the people for having hard hearts, for having stony hearts, for having stiff necks. What's a stiff neck? Think about a neck that's actually got uh, frozen cervical uh, bone where you can't turn your leg. It's stiff. You can't actually. So a stiff neck is about a a person whose mind cannot be turned off of the locked in beliefs that they have. They won't change. They're hardened in their ways. Okay. God does not want us to have a hardened heart or a stiff neck where we can't conceive of new ideas and follow truth into new pathways of life, which ultimately are the paths of everlasting life. And so pray for truth and also pray for a tender heart that can receive it and a willing heart to follow it. In Thessalonians, it describes the wicked in the end that are lost are those who did not love the truth and thus be saved. They didn't have hearts that would respond to it. So pray for a heart that loves the truth and is willing to grow in the truth at the earliest possible moment you can comprehend it. 
As we start out onto our day, each day, what should be our prayer? Knowing, knowing what we know about God and knowing how God acts and how God uses the design laws, how should we approach our day? Because a lot of people say, well, I wonder what God's going to do to me today. I wonder what God has in store for me today. I wonder what's going to happen to me as God leads the way. What should be our prayer? The way you describe that is a is an evidence from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Yeah. Okay. So a person who prays that is revealing the concept that they hold about God. They actually have a flawed view of who God is. Mm-hmm. God is our best friend. God loves us more than the most trusted person on earth. God is always for us. It says in Romans eight thirty one, if God is for us, who can be against us? But that prayer that you describe doesn't describe someone who believes God is for them. Mm-hmm. They believe that God is someone maybe needs persuading, or God is someone who is looking for an opportunity to write them a a heavenly speeding ticket and find them in some way. This is not who God is. God's laws are the laws that life and health operate upon. To the degree that we're suffering in life, it's because in some place we're out of harmony with God's design laws for life and health. That that could be by purposeful choice. We chose to do something. It could simply be by inheritance. All nature groans under the weight of sin, and we suffer from aging and and health-related problems. It had nothing to do with living sinfully out of harmony with God. And this is why we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where this mortal puts on immortality. God has a plan to free us from all that. But the idea here is that when you look to God, do you get up each morning knowing you have as your best friend in the universe, the commander of the entire heavenly host and the one who controls all the laws of nature. And he only wants for you, for you to continue to grow in your loving relationship with him. If that is your attitude, then you open your day. Say, Lord, I'm so glad you're my friend. I'm so glad that you've provided everything for my health and welfare. Help me discern and understand where you're leading so that I can fulfill the purposes you have for me today. Oh, that is a beautiful prayer for every morning. Listener, I hope you are taking notes as I am. Here's something else to put in your notes. Comeandreason.com is the website. There are a lot of resources available there. We have sharing tracks. We have books to read. We have Bible studies to to study. All there at comeandreason.com. I invite you to stop by and join. Come and Reason doesn't cost anything. And there's a lot of freebies. I've got to say, a lot of freebies there available to you when you become a member. And that also is free. Comeandreason.com. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings, thank you for sharing with us your view and God's view and the Bible's view of the hand of God. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.